Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the one infinite creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. And a little birdie is telling me episodes are coming back soon. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind. So please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inaudible and welcome Jamie Leastman. How are you doing? I'm good. So glad to have you back. We are jumping once more into the dreamscape seekers. We are going to incept into our catalyst and figure it all out. And Jamie's going to show us how. In three easy steps, right? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that, What's the dream work been like, Jamie? Well, I have been journaling just like I have been for many years, but I have, over the last few months, added some extra steps to my dream journaling process in an attempt to kind of uh, romance my subconscious if you will, to, uh, you know, provide me some more, um, insight into, um, the lessons I would need to learn and the things I need to deal with and acknowledge and all that stuff. So, um, one of the things I'm really uh, excited about is I've been incorporating art into my dream journaling. So, and (laughs) it's beneficial for a few reasons, but one, one reason is for me, it kind of creates a bit of a, a bridge to my right brain. You know, since the subconscious and dreaming, all that activity is so not of the left brain logical mind world, even that act of um, journaling the dream and, tr- and the, my brain wanting to turn it into a, a narrative with um, a sequence of events and all this stuff, it doesn't necessarily encapsulate like the the whole dream. So I've been using art as a way to kind of turn down my, my left brain activity a little bit and, um, kind of focus on some of the symbols and the the emotional meanings behind some of the things that go on in my dreams. And so this has been cool in, a, in one way, because I've been wanting to be more artistic in my life. You know, I have a 40 hour week, like many people and I don't have a a lot of time for my artistic and being creative and all these things. So it's been really great for me. So I, I do a, a, a intention, or I like to call it a calling every night before I, I get ready for bed. And I do that in my dream journal. And I kind of talk about the things I want to be shown in my dream. And I, sometimes I'll do a little sketch and then I, the next morning I journal my dream. And if there's an image that is impactful or something, I will sketch that in my dream journal as well. And the other um, benefit that I didn't think about before was that sometimes I want to refer back to a dream 
And it's so much easier instead of skimming over words, just, oh, I need to go find that picture. So that's been good too. So it's been pretty cool for me. Um, And I do an art club a couple times a month with some of my girlfriends. And I've been doing like cool art pieces out of my, my dream images. And it's just been pretty cool. That so so uh, that brings up several things that are of interest to me, and then I'll give you a crack, Nathan. Uh, one, the way that images can be a kind of indexing mechanism for feeling tones and states of emotion that you experience in dreams. That it's kind of like just by writing things down. They say a lot of the time by just by the act of taking notes you know, you remember things better, even if you never look at those notes. Why? Because there's something about applying the creative process of applying it to the paper that makes it stick. And the idea of using an image to do that, I mean, that's an even more unique signifier. Uh, So I think that's really fantastic. And the second thing I was interested in is you're doing uh, uh, art and sketching before you dream you're doing it as a process of setting intentions or creating a calling Uh, can you go more into how you think about that well i i've been going through a couple things where i i have like a goal of having more awareness within my dream you know eventually to you know foster more of a lucid dreaming situation and but that's not the only reason so i'll i'll sometimes i'll repeat words like I'm, you know, I call for awareness. I, I, you know, and I'll kind of basically writing a letter to my subconscious. And, um, so I'll do kind of like swirly images of a sleeping figure with like spirals coming out of the head as kind of like a fantastical, like, um, like a little artistic representation of, um, an open mind and, um, I, I even change the, the font that I write in. I, I make when I, from my recording of the dream to the intention setting, I, I kind of write differently. So I'm just playing with all kinds of things. I've even um, started to uh, pay attention to the moon phase. And that has, um, that may be a little woo woo for some people, but it's just like an interesting um, thing. So, yeah, you're freaking out all the people who listen to disembodied voices. <laughs> right. Yeah, they can't handle they can't handle moons. Right. Uh, <laughs> the no, lunacy. Th- what, what's really cool for me, and uh, it, it, it's this way that you have found to synthesize a bunch of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but synthesize a bunch of these like emotive undifferentiated, hard to put your finger on qualities and finding ways to express them in these, in these subtle ways on the paper that then sort of, I guess the theory is if there has to be a theory that you're kind of priming the pump of intuition, you're priming the pump for communication between time, space and space, time, right brain, brain, left brain, unconscious, conscious. Does that sound in any way right? Yeah. I mean, I am trying to program myself like, um, the, our, our culture and how we're just as, as humans, like dreams are just, they've been forgotten by the large culture over the years. Like it's something they're forgettable. Oh, it's just a dream. It's nothing. It means nothing. No wonder nobody remembers their dreams because they've been dismissed for 
for as long, you know, for so long. And so there's some, a lot of um, ground to be, or bridges to be built to um, kind of communicate to your subconscious and let it, and so your subconscious knows that your the conscious mind is listening. The conscious mind is um, interested in the, the symbol, symbols that the subconscious can provide. So I'm, you know, like in the process of wooing my subconscious, we'll say. Like yeah. one of my favorite quotes, and I will re- repeat this all the time, but from a um, lucid dreamer, Charlene Morley said that every night your subconscious writes you a love letter. And the more that you start reading those letters, the more um, in depth and specific and more, you know, more relevant these letters will become. So that's something I always keep in the back of my mind. Any thoughts, Niffin? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I find dreaming fascinating. There's so many different aspects. Uh, you know, I found that for me, if I meditate, I'll, you know, um, not just daily, but like uh, 45 minutes a day, which because usually I, I, you know, I, I probably do more of a 15 minute meditation. But back when I first started meditating like 10 years ago, when I was doing like 45 minutes to an hour a day, and I did that consistently for like more than a week, I would notice my my lucidity and also my dream recall would just go through the roof. Like it would just be incredible. Um, and then of course, I think at least this is just from my personal journey when, um, you know, cause I was living in a state where marijuana was legal and, um, I experimented with marijuana for like a few months. Uh, I noticed it, it, I, it would really, um, kill my dream recall. I'm think I think I was still dreaming, but I just wouldn't recall. Um, and anyway, I stopped uh, doing that. But uh, so I noticed it was interesting how um, there's definitely like um, a very related component to what you do with your waking life, right? Like whether it's meditation or um, waking up due to an alarm, I wouldn't remember my dreams, right? Uh, also, for the past like five, five, seven years, I've noticed I can set an intention and ask a question right before I go to sleep. And I uh, frequently get an answer in my dream. And it's, it's still very symbolic, but, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. You know, um, it is, it, it, I love how, uh, in a lot of ways it's like in order to like fully explore this connection between the conscious and unconscious, it's, it requires one to, um, be comfortable with both, you know, um, kind of the, the left and right brain. Cause you need both to figure this out. And it's, it's, I think it's just fascinating, um, I've also noticed, and I think, you know, Raw talks about this, and I'm sure other uh, members of the Confederation talk about this, that there's different types of dreams, right? Probably the rarest type uh, is like prophecy. But um, I think Raw says either you're, you're very, like, it's it's rare um, in general, but that it occurs more commonly before you die. Like, apparently, you might have a dream knowing it's going to come soon uh, of some indication. Uh then, of course, you know, I think the, the majority of the dreams are going to be um, that communication where it's processing things. Um, and I think especially a lot of balancing stuff, right, that occurs. But I've also noticed that um, there's a third type that I've, I've personally experienced where you can set an intention to um, 
communicate or connect with someone at a deep level. And at least when I've set this intention, it was usually with like an energetic healer or like a loved one. And there was no necessarily uh, direct connection to like dreams. But then I would have a dream where I'm meeting up with them in a dream, you know. And so it was quite interesting. And usually, you know, it was, uh, um, you know, something like an energetic hug or like some sort of words that were in a, in a language I wouldn't understand consciously. So it's, it's, uh, dreams are very fascinating. And I'm, um, I love that, Jamie, you're, you're going deeply into it because it's I think it's one of the honestly, I feel like it's very underrated, not just in our society, but I feel like also, you know, maybe it's because questioners of confederation material or the people who are asking the questions in these channelings they don't ask that many questions about dream but i feel like it's an untapped area for sure yeah it is um that bringing up again the symbology of dreams i i think the reason for that being that your subconscious is you know you when you're dreaming you're tapping into the time space realm where all things are known your higher self is you're tapping into that and thoughts are things and it's a completely different world and the reason uh that the dreams are symbolic is to preserve free will and that is cuz if <laughs> i had one of the most you know, upsetting dreams of my life one time. And I was all, um, the night before I was just like, Oh, I read a quote about how the, um, confederation quote about how that the, that the dream will often be, um, cloaked in symbology to soften the lessons of the, or soften the blow of the lessons to the to you. And, um, then that, that night I kind of laughed at that. I was like, Oh, haha, that makes sense. But I, <laughs> then I had one of the most upsetting dreams in my life where I woke up and I was hmm. crying and I was so upset and I was like, okay, yeah, right. I, right. I get it now. Yep. Softening the blow. I'll take softened blows for a little while now, <laughs> but, um, it, it's such a fascinating area. There's so much to learn and it's so much to explore. It's funny that you mentioned softening the blow. Uh, I guess I'm lucky in that I very rarely have had nightmares that actually disturb my sleep or wake me up. So I've always been like, I love nightmares because you always remember them in the morning and you usually remember all the details. So it's, it's like you get all the benefits of um, remembering your dream. And usually you remember it for a long period of time without even trying. So I feel like it's like... Um, it's uh, it's like a layup. They put it up on a platter as to the, hey, here's something to look into in your daily meditation. Uh, I don't think it's a popular opinion. Most people I know don't like their nightmares, but um, knock on wood, until I get nightmares that like actually wake me up and prevent me from going back to sleep, I, I love it. It's like, it's like a, it's like a sign you can't ignore. You know? Yeah, if they can be a gift, pointing you to things that uh, you need to look at. <laughs> And and it's funny you mentioned like there uh, there's um a system of like um rules or symbology. It's it's weird, right? When you think of rules, you think of more like left brain logic. Um, but yet there is seemingly a rule system where you have they have to use symbolism to preserve free will, right? Uh, so I've been I've definitely gone lucid in a dream, and I, I think I've mentioned this uh, in other contexts with you guys. 
but uh, I've asked questions before sleeping and then I've had a dream where I'm lucid and I'm like, oh, this is this dream is an answer to my earlier question. And then I'll just be like, I've actually been like, hey, uh, talking to someone in a dream. I'm like, hey, cut out all the symbolic BS. Like I actually said that to them. I was like, just tell me straight up like this. This dream is 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 related to my question before sleeping. Right. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, can you just cut out all those symbolism? Just tell me straight up. Is this a good idea or not? And they're like they, the person I was talking to um, in the dream, like looked around awkwardly and they're like, uh, that's we, we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Um, stop stop trying to get around the rules, Nathan. Just, just <laughs> know, saying right? how it works. It is interesting that there are rules, though. And it's interesting how it's rules around the the uh, taking care of a relationship within the self. You know, uh, Jamie, you were talking about uh, the respect that you show your subconscious and your deep mind uh, by simply paying attention to what it's saying. You know, when you said that, I have to be completely honest uh, as a married man that it kind of like brought to mind those times when, you know, you both get you and your wife get home from work and she has so much that she has to tell you. And you're kind of like, all right, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to it and try to pay attention, even though it may not be all of interest to me. And the more that I thought about that metaphor, and, and I'm not, it, it, I'm sure both genders experience that. I know I can talk about music sometimes in a really boring way, but uh, it, it, there's this sense in which someone is trying to convey something to you in waking life, in a dream, what have you. And they're getting it through, they're getting it to you as best they can in the native way that makes sense to them. And this is one of the like things about communication from a spiritual point of view that really gets me is that a lot of times we don't tap into the thing, to that intention of the communication, the deep love, that, that quality of love that is being, being, you know, shared with you. Instead, we focus on the details, the wrapping. You know, the, 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 all of the, all the things that allow us to filter out what we don't want to pay attention to. And a lot of times uh, when it comes to these more uh, nuanced, these harder to get your hands around uh, ideas like feelings and, and deeper spiritual resonances, you find that like you, you end up filtering everything out because you can't latch on to any one thing you have to take it as a whole and you have to give it the time and the attention so that it will uh, actually sink in and then something will emerge from that that you didn't know about the person that you didn't you didn't respect and honor previously so i'm really interested in this way that dreams and the relations that we enter into within the plural self like the self that's made up of all these different parts, some that we have uh, a waking experience of, we can access readily, some that aren't easily accessed. But how all these things work together and mirror the plurality that's outside of us, where we enter it, where we have these confrontations and run into these people. And, and one other thing that I was thinking of is uh, the sense you brought up, Jamie, that um, societally, dreams and the information they convey are treated very shabbily. Um, they're treated almost like a kind of entertainment or they're treated as like these uh, 
they portend great harm and danger or something like that. They're either like completely prophetic or they're completely BS, right? And, um, you know, I wonder if the advent of film and TV and moving pictures has had something to do with that. Because before that, there was no experience quite like a dream in terms of like bringing, you know, sound and, and image and feeling all together. And now we have it, we're like inundated with it. I wonder if that has some sort of uh, dampening effect on our ability to experience dreams in the way that they're supposed to be experienced, maybe. I think so. I mean, besides just being an enormous distraction yeah. and that, um, you know, it's interesting though. And one of the books I'm reading currently about, uh, about dreaming, they suggest that people who play video games are better suited to, or like are better suited into interacting within a, like a fantasy world. Right. Which I thought was super interesting I mean, I don't play video games at all, and I'm not really that interested in getting into it, but I was just like, huh, well, that's an interesting um, take. I hadn't heard that before. So, well, well, I mean, like from the point of view of if you make the analogy, right, of dreams to film, then video games are a kind of introduce a kind of lucidity into the mm -hmm. otherwise serial nature of, of films, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in a film, uh, and it kind of messes with the time, the time experience too, because, you know, one thing about a film is that the whole thing is there on the film in the same way that all time is one. Right. And so you're just choosing where you access, where you want to start the film. Um, but not so with a video game, you kind of have to go, unless you have a uh, game genie or something like that, I'm showing my age or some way to hack it. Right. You, you kind of have to go along with the game piece by piece, but you're interacting with it. It's an interactive thing. Um, I don't have a lot of lucid dreams. And so, but like, I think that's good because I want my, I want to know what is being said. And I think my thing is uh, I need to uh, tack a little bit more in your direction, Jamie, of trying to find ways to create a deeper intention so that my deep mind feels, feels welcomed. Right. It yeah. feels like what it has to say matters. Um, yeah. Well, nice little segue here to this quote I'd like to share. Great. Um, okay. Allow the dreaming process to create opportunities for you to link those two ways of thinking as you contemplate your dreams with insight as well as logic. Encourage your mind to become more and more integrated with itself and, and able to move with more and more facility between that logic of space-time and the insight of metaphysical space or time-space. You are a dweller in two worlds, and the dream process helps you investigate that second world, which is not easily available to be seen in the haunts of humankind. Yeah, that, that puts a fine point on this thing we were talking about earlier about the synthetic nature of creating an intention or a calling. Um, you really are synthesizing a lot of different threads to get the kind of like resonant outcome. Like what is that vibration that you're left with? That's the thing that always haunts me about dreams. It's like you see all these things, you're in these situations that weird you out or they don't, and you're left 
you're left with some sort of like feeling that's kind of like the feeling of the dream. And uh, it's, it's kind of like a synthesis of all these different things that are going on. Uh, and I think your ability to use art to, to help a lot, help long and participate more in that synthesis. I mean, I, I think that's incredible. I honestly, up till this point, I didn't really appreciate how genius it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's pretty cool. Like one of the, I'll see if I can share this image here. I did um, a chalk pastel of this. Oh, oh no, it wants me to share a browser thing. Okay, well, maybe we can do this in post or whatever. But I had this um, really, well, a lot of the themes I've been in my, for my dream intentions and the night preceding have been for increased awareness. I want to have more awareness in the dream state because, um, when I am aware that I'm dreaming, it's, it's, you can really engage with it and it's, it's really exciting. I like to, um, so anyway, my, my calling has been for increased awareness in the dream state and, a while back, I had this very um, impactful dream where there was a giant snowy white owl. And I saw it from across a frozen lake and it was like a wintry scene. And I'm sitting right underneath a really tall tree and the owl looks at me and it flies and lands in the tree that's right above me. And this owl is like huge. It's like three feet tall. It's really big. And, and it has like this whole like you know, intense appearance. And it just like, it reached down with its big talons and grabbed me and it grabbed me on the arm. And it wasn't like a, a like a violent flesh tearing grab because they have those crazy talons, but I could, it was very firm and it was almost like, you know, owls being symbols of basically awareness and wisdom and insight and all these things. And it was just so cool. I remember like the owl just holding onto my arm and I could there's that special feeling of like the talon and kind of feels like an antler or bone. I remember the feeling against my skin and it was just very intense. And I, I remembered it, but then I also made a really cool chalk pastel of the owl reaching down to grab me. And, um, it's been, I know it's just really cool. Like I am, you know, giving reverence to this, this symbol, um, that was given to me in my dream. And, um, I know, I, I think it's, a, it's a really positive thing and, uh, it's been, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm excited. I think that's the right attitude, Jamie. I think that, um, looking for immediate, I think one thing that gets people who delve into dreams at all and interpretation and all of that, I think they get, I know this happened to me when I was really good about writing down my dreams is that I gave up because I wasn't, there was no fruition. There was no aha moment that came out of it. It was just images, feelings, things like that. And I didn't know what to make of it. And I think now with 20 years of hindsight, I can say that that is completely the wrong attitude. If you're working with the subconscious and the deep mind, you are working with forces that you do not understand and you will not understand them. So looking for an outcome to certify your work 
is the completely wrong way to approach it in the same way that like, you know, making a friend just so that you can like, you know, get some outcome from it. Like we just call that networking. Right. And it doesn't have a lot of depth, right? Like that's, that's just business networking. Like what you want is like, you have a friend and like, it's an, it's a, it's the beginning of a, of something that you don't know where it's going to go. And like, it could lead to something fantastic or it could be blah. And I think like, it's, it's really more of a, uh, a way of thinking about your life in general, not just dreams of like recognizing that you don't have to understand all of the puzzle pieces. You can sort of let them assemble themselves on their own time in their own way. And then just be ready for what, for when the aha moment comes, just set yourself up. And that's what I feel like you're doing is you're doing all of these practices that are, that are banking insight, banking fruition. And then it's going to come when it's going to come, but you're going to have the funds to pay for it when it does. And I, I, that, I think the way that you're approaching it is something I could really learn from. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. I, um, it's definitely not something if you're expecting a transactional situation with your (laughs) subconscious, you might be disappointed, disappointed or frightened or, you know, it's not, it's not good. Um, but, uh, I do have another quote here to share with you guys. So I'm going to go ahead with this. Um, the subconscious mind in the dream state operates within the framework, which you might call the metaphysical, the illusion, which you inhabit in your conscious waking state is the physical. It is that which provides the catalysts and experience, which teach. In the metaphysical or time-space portion of your being, all things are possible, for thoughts are things. This is not normally so in your waking consciousness. Your, sub- your subconscious mind is able to show to the conscious mind the lessons which have not been well learned or which have been ignored. Yet to preserve, preserve the free will of the conscious mind, these lessons must be in symbolic form in most cases. When you are in that dreaming state, you are indeed beyond the normal space-time continuum. You exist at that time within a realm which is quite fluid and flexible, and your subconscious mind may then utilize the great power of its being to express its perception of your progress in the evolution of your mind, body, and spirit. Pretty interesting stuff there. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that, um, you know, when I was listening to it uh, and the protection of free will, I think I think that 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 is entailed in the symbolic communication as opposed to the explicit communication. Um, you know, part of me wonders whether that's all free will, whether like. Whether it's just protection or whether there's an element in which. Uh, our conscious minds invest so much attention and detail into the things that it cares about and perceives. And that the whole point of the deeper mind is that that's kind of where a lot of things go that don't have that degree of definition and discreteness to them. Like by like symbols point to them because there's no other container that can be used to sort of like sum them up. 
And uh, so, yeah, like, like I, I, I think in, in Nithin's example of his dream where he explicitly asked to do, and he's like, yeah, I'm not allowed to do that. Okay. Fair enough. Like clearly there is some sort of like rule based system and protection involved. But I also think that like, it's not just protecting our free will, but it's protecting in a way our sanity because we're the, these egos are not designed to dip deep too deeply into those waters of the of the subconscious without really really transforming our lives. I think also it's um I think an aspect of it of why you can't just be told straight up and it's to maintain free will is that in a certain sense, you know, part of this journey um, of evolution, uh, uh, you know, at least it's going to occur on Earth, although the as as Raw and the Confederation talk about, um, the primary thing on Earth is is the choice. But there's many of us who are learning more uh, subtle lessons that are a little bit past that, right? So, you know, one of the things uh, to balance and unblock the upper chakra's uh, third eye is this realization that you are the creator, right? So if you're interacting with your dreams where you're asking what you perceive someone outside of yourself for the right answer, it almost promotes a certain sort of separation, right? Whereas opposed to there's just information being provided, the source of the information is ambiguous, and the meaning of the information is a bit ambiguous where you have to be the the person taking the action or the the self taking the action to interpret what that means for your life so that um that 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 relationship with your unconscious is much more consistent with this idea of a balanced um indigo ray where you realize you are the creator as opposed to you're asking this other part of yourself right it's that promotes a, a sense of separation that uh, isn't actually how reality works. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And one of the things that I have done when I have become lucid in a dream is to engage with my dream characters in in with love, basically. Like I have, you know, interrogated them a little bit. I I would. I once was got lucid and I was very excited and I saw these different dream characters and I asked them what part of me they represented because most of the times, you know, Nathan talked about the, you know, the dreams of prophecy is extremely rare. We just rarely have those kinds of dreams. Yeah. Most of the other dream characters in your dreams are portions of yourself. Like, and I, and so I have, you know, hugged dream characters and try to show them love because, you know, I just want it to be more of, um, you know, an integrative experience. Cause there was one dream that I had. And there was, when I asked this one character, what part of me he represented, and he, he was like a, a, a tiny shrinking man. And he said that he represented death and he looked so scared. And so I hugged him and then he, you know, said to me that he was working with another friend of mine who I at the time was going through a colon cancer scare. So it, you know, I hugged the man, he kind of melted into my arms and that, that it's a really um, positive way to engage with the dream. If you do have the opportunity to, be, to become lucid is to 
hug your dream character, <laughs> you know, hug these other people, show parts of your subconscious, show it love. Because like we said earlier with the, the, um, the cultural perception of, of dreams being meaningless and nonsense that like, it's a, it's kind of like an ignored part of ourselves. So show it love, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, the ability to work with these qualities that we exhibit in our daily lives uh, in, in imperfect ways. Um, it seems to me that a lot of what uh, the dream state really gives us the opportunity to do is work with those qualities much more directly and in the more abstract and, but also pure ways that they actually feel like. So, I might want to express love to somebody on the street. I can't just hug them and have them melt into my arms, right? Like I have to, you know, go through the niceties. I have to repress a little bit of that and just look them in the eye and smile or say hi or something like that. Uh, but in the dream state, you're kind of like, because these are all symbolic anyway, and it's symbolic in a way in waking life too, but we'll get there. Um, I really feel like, your decisions and your actions are themselves symbols of deeper qualities that are already part of you that you're learning how to intensify and express in this new setting. Um, there was uh, some work that uh, Nithin and I were involved in uh, bringing a message from Kuo through that talks a little bit about the connection between dreams and time space. And I'd love to read from that now. Uh, so this is June 19th, 2023. You realize that in the dream life, your experience of time tends to dilate somewhat and becomes enriched qualitatively in such a manner that the constraints of linear representation are no longer in force to the extent that they are during your waking hours in space time. Now, we would like you to, in imagination, move first of all into that dream life. And now perhaps intensify that sense of release from temporal representation, moving more and more into a feeling of experiential life that is purely qualitative. And now you are inundated by qualities of such a refined character that they blend and mix with each other far more easily than anything that you could imagine while incarnate. You live now from quality to quality and find yourself amazingly free to transform the conditions of your very embodiment by suffusing these highly receptive bodies, which you now enjoy, with qualities you may summon merely by invoking them, for they are the qualities that constitute your environment, and your environment and your embodiment are much closer to being at one. Now, that may not describe the highly detailed and exciting dreams that you have, Jamie, but that's the kind of Lynchian stuff that I deal with that, 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 what was just explained there, like that, that applies uh, ostensibly to time space and what it feels like to be sort of incarnate in time space. But it also, for me, is like what a dream feels like in the sense that like you sort of get this sense that there's all of this potential around you and the potentials are like, these really poignant, striking feelings. And like when they come into the frame of the film that is my dream, like they have a symbol, 
right? They have something representing them. But like the thing that haunts me about all these dream narratives that I have every night is the feelings that I'm left with. And it's, and it's, and it's like this, it's like all these different things that are deep within me, uh, composed a, a little symphony and I have to like, just listen to it. I have to let it wash over me. Um, and that when I find that the dreams are the most, uh, uh, meaningful to me, it's when I have found myself carried away by the intensity of those qualities that they're bringing to bear. I think it's in those qualities that those undefined things I was talking about earlier in deep mind, that, that, that's, that's the same thing. It's, it's, they, it is, it's that which cannot be spoken of because if it could be spoken of, you would just think it in your waking state, right? You would just consider the thought, balance it, move on, but you can't do that for some reason. And so you can move. And, and I think just like in, in, in death and in the afterlife, we move into time space as a way to balance these things because we no longer can make these big showy changes that come from action and moving in a matrix of space. Now you're now you, now you can move about in time, but you're fixed in space in, in time space. And it's the same way in dreams. You're kind of like you're fixed and running through these different feeling qualities. Now, it does pr pr produce a little bit of a problem for me uh, how lucid dreamers experience things because it seems to be this like amalgamation of, on the one hand, the narrative approach to one's uh, you know consciousness and how phenomena and events occur versus these these deeper qualitative feeling tones that that sort of swirl around. So I. Like as a lucid dreamer, is it? Am I way off the mark, Jamie? Well, I really have only had a, like a handful of lucid dreams, so okay. I haven't really explored that that much. I mean, it's it's part of my goal, but again, I'm not like that is not my main goal. You know, I I would like more awareness in the dream, but I'm still just also along for the ride. Like one of the, what popped in my head when you were speaking there, Jeremy, about like the qualitative and just kind of like the, the qualitative experience of a dream. It's almost like, um, like emotional synesthesia. Where yes. You have like this crossover kind of, um, action. Like I, it's almost sometimes better to experience the dream as, you dream it without yeah. any element of conscious control because you like it, you, it only seems weird when you wake up, you know, cause when you're in the dream, you're, you're accepting everything as reality. And that is another valuable thing too, is like lucid dreaming is not the end all be all. Like you can have really like, like some of the most impactful dreams of my life happened. They weren't lucid dreams, but yeah. they were super impactful. And I have felt either been like embodied or as an observer or just, you can just experience things in ways that consciousness and physical existence doesn't, uh, doesn't have, 
cover. Well, what, what I'm hoping is as we deepen our practice of feeling into these things, these things that are symbolized and hinted at and have kind of an atmosphere around them that, that, that doesn't have that discreteness and that tangibility that we crave, um, that we can start to use that um, uh, uh, skill, that faculty of sensing into things in waking life. When we can start to sense into situations in waking life and feel into those hidden underlying qualities, and we don't have to figure them out intellectually, right? We've 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 given ourselves another uh, way to live a life and to to have you know uh, confrontations and interactions with people, uh, so that uh, not everything has to balance like an equation. You know what I mean, like. That's such a, that's such a, it's a way of living your life that just narrows it down to nothing. And then you're wondering why you're depressed and like, you feel like nothing matters. Well, you filtered it out. Just like I was filtering out, uh, conversations, uh, in dreams, like you filter out waking life and strip it of any meaning. And then you're left, you're left, uh, sitting in a pile of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> pile of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, to comment on uh, why I think society dismisses dreams is that, um, you know, the, the idea of dismissing dreams reminds me of the matrix of the spirit. But I think also um, it's a way of like focusing people on, you know, productivity and producing, you know, capitalism. Because if you if you make it so that the main aspect of life is physical and external uh, and you devalue the internal journey and internal meaning, um, you know, I think it, uh, it's, it, it's done so as to motivate people to focus more on, you know, being productive and things that really, um, might be only useful for those in power, but not necessarily useful for your personal spiritual journey. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's, it can be one of the things you hear like, Oh, I want a lucid dream so I can control my dreams. Like, you know, Icky. yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all well and good, but that is a hard fought for a hard one thing. And once you even, once you're actually in that experience, you realize that the concept of control is just absurd you know because just the experience of this experience in a different type of consciousness is just so cool it's just so fascinating you know like we're not um i mean you don't have to take ayahuasca to experience a different uh mind state you know so i i think it should be um something that should be more experiential instead of um focusing on like controlling the dream i mean there are a lot of really amazing options for doing things in dreams that don't necessarily like you can like athletes have often rehearsed their you know their pole vaulting or whatever or like um artists get their inspirations from dreams musicians have rehearsed and gone got inspiration from their dreams it is just like like the quote said before that it is just un uh, unbelievable 
what you have access to. Like your higher self basically is the sum total of your spirit. Like everything that you've, um, every life you've had, every emotion you felt, it's all there. So like, it, there's just a, a short quote that I just love too, that, um, dreams are a partial record of the activity of the spirit. They are, are a reliable communication from spirit to conscious self of the true development of the spirit's personality. Like that's pretty cool. You know, absolutely. I like that. You know, I, I totally agree. You know, I don't know if I've, how often I've been lucid, but, um, I feel like it's something that I focused on uh, or experimented with many years ago. And, um, but thinking back when I went lucid, I would always be very much like, all right, I'm going to put a lot of logic into this and just try to figure it out. And, you know, that's probably not the best way. That was very not helpful. Um, now, sometimes I would be lucid in the dream and I would mentally do what I would do when I wake up, which is try to figure out the dream, the symbolism. But it, but I can always do that while waking up. It didn't really seem to help me in the moment. And obviously, occasionally you'll be lucid and you just want to have powers and you do that. That's it didn't really feel helpful. And then occasionally, you know, because people mention this, like try meditating or try and contact your higher self while you're lucid. And that I was also disappointed with that. It seemed to work. But once again, the higher self, like I would ask a question straight up, expecting a straight up like logical answer. And you get like a like some you get something you'd have to interpret i'm like this is useless it's like what's the point of being lucid but thinking back maybe if i'm if any of us go lucid one way to do it is to um try to interact on a more symbolic level like maybe be like ask hey i i want to um be shown um you know symbols regarding some general topic or catalyst uh, you know but even maybe that's too logical Maybe you just you think of some emotion or feeling or memory and and just be like, I want to explore this and maybe even leave it more open-ended. But I've never tried that being lucid and maybe that would be useful. I wonder, uh, do either of you ever uh, meditate on your dreams once you wake up? I do. I mean, I usually meditate and specifically with the intention of trying to uh, understand the symbols. Is it, do you find it valuable? I find it very similar it to, um, I find, I find it useful. Yeah. I don't get clear okay. answers, but you'll get like something bubbling up from the unconscious. Uh, sometimes in that meditation, or if you do it a few times in a row over a course of days. What about you, Jamie? Well, I do a morning meditation and that's after I've already done my dream journaling. Right. So if, if it's a particularly confusing or potent subject that was brought up in my dream, I'll be thinking about it Yeah. for sure. Um, but I don't really have like a dedicated, I kind of have like my regimented, regimented morning routine yeah. where I do this and this and this. So um, I, but you know, oftentimes like, I wake up at least like uh, an hour before my alarm and then I'll have kind of like a hypnagogic session where I'm kind of like, I'll think about the dream and then I'll, I'll have this method where in order to recall the dream, I'll kind of trace it, trace it back and attach a string to it and pull on the string to re that I have this 
wow. mental exercise for remembering it. And then I often I'll kind of go back asleep a little bit too. And sometimes I can just go right back into the dream. So I do have a fair amount of dream contemplation. And again, yeah. also when I'm doing my art, um, then I'm, I'm also thinking about the dream and, and that's my other kind of like right, right brain focused um, method of, of contemplation or reflection on the dream symbols. So, yeah, it seems like it doesn't really matter what means it is. It's just taking the time to bring yourself back to that feeling of the dream, uh, that that environment that the dream creates. It's all you. It's all your qualities. And just see kind of like how it feels again. Yeah. I mean, it's even from the very beginning when before I was really, really got into or discovered the law of one and whatnot, like I had a few impactful dreams when I was younger. And then like I had one very impactful dream that basically helped me change my life. And, um, you know, ever since that one dream, I really, I valued my dreams so much more after this big one. And, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, anyway, Welcome to the club, I think I always just, I was like, wow, there's this mysterious part of me that's active when I'm asleep. What, who is this? Is this, is it me? Is it my, I mean, it's me, right? Like, am I this, am I the same personality in my dream world? And it's just this mysterious part of myself was always just something that's so fascinating to, to me and really provided a lot of inspiration for um, giving this attention and exploring it deeper and learning, like, what am I up to every night? You know, like, what is going on? And um, just the, the sheer mystery of it is is often enough just to keep me going. I mean, yes, I have boring, mundane dreams from time to time. They just happen and that's okay, whatever. And sometimes there'll be a day for whatever reason, I just forget the dream, but I don't, I don't try to be hard on myself. I just plug along and um, continue with my, my discoveries and I try not to push it too hard. It's, it's always been pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so now we get to the point, if, nobody else has any uh, thoughts on where they'd like to go. I, I, I am really interested in a kind of unity of application between the tools of working with dreams and the tools of working with that dreamlike quality of waking life that we call catalysis, right? The way in which our triggers and those things that stand out to us have that dreamlike quality sometimes in the sense that they announce themselves so, 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 so directly and they're so unignorable, you know? Um, and there was a, uh, Kuo session that, that, that kind of talked about this, uh, that I was thinking of, uh, reading through it. It's, it's a little bit extended. Would, would that be all right with y'all if we like read something a little longer? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I feel like we've said all the stuff we want to say on our own. Um, all right. 
So, and, and this is really about life as a waking dream. And as I read through this, I want us to think about how this stuff can be applied to dreams in the same way that we've been talking about uh, dream techniques and dream approaches applied to waking life. So this is uh, Kuo, May 6, 2017. You ask this day how to proceed upon your path of seeking by using your daily round of activities as an indicator of that path and how to evaluate these activities which have signals and symbols for you to give you a clue as to your direction of seeking. You have many tools to use, my friends. Each of you within the third density illusion has a mind complex that is quite able to engage in analytical thought so that you may look at a situation or any portion thereof and describe in concepts what you see, how they fit together, how they do not fit together, and make initial evaluations as to the meaning that may be derived by you in each portion of your daily experiences. You have your feelings, which are more of an emotional response to a situation than an intellectual evaluation of it. For there is that portion of yourself which is more, shall we say, in contact with the life force as it flows through you. This portion of yourself which is developed first in your childhood so that it is the primary means by which you, as a child, would respond to your experiences upon a daily level rather than responding intellectually when that facility or faculty has yet to be developed. There is always the intuition that is available for any person, be it a conscious seeker of truth or a person which has not yet become conscious of this journey of seeking that the third density provides each. These three are the main faculties of decision-making, shall we say, each of which may be enhanced or directed in some fashion by those sources or forces that may seem to be outside of yourself, such as personal guides, discarnate entities that are friends and teachers, your higher self, and so forth. Each seeker of truth, therefore, has gathered about it a repertoire of resources which may be consulted upon a daily basis, or even more frequently for the seeker who has become awake and aware of its own actions and the interactions with others, and how these interactions may play out upon your stage of interpretation of experience, as you are both the actor and the audience, the writer and the reviewer. Let me, let me take a pause right there. So we have these three tools uh, that Kuo is pointing us to, uh, intellect, emotions, feelings, and intuition. And I think it's interesting to think about when we look at dreams, how we would use all three of those, not just any one, but all three of them in sort of tandem uh, uh, to, to make sense of the dream, not sense in the sense that, uh, I figured it out since the sense of what if my, what is my takeaway from this? How is this going to make a difference in my life? And maybe that does, maybe that's not something that you really figure out totally, but you start to get a sense of what it is. You start to get a hint or a haunting feeling of, 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 of what that interaction at work meant or, uh, what, some interaction uh, with your spouse was was it has a, it has an undercurrent to it where the conversation you had with him or her didn't fully exhaust all of the potential there right and I just think that like uh, right off the bat these three ways of thinking about what we can bring to a to a dream or to a waking experience to kind of understand the undercurrents is really useful.
It's curious to think about the faculty of intuition in the dream state. Because, I mean, emotions, yes, and intellect, yes, but is not the dream state it's like the script is the intuition, right? Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> what is, you know, like I wonder how that manifests or functions because I never really thought about intuition in, or experiencing it or using intuition in a state other than my conscious waking life. That's curious. Yeah. Yeah, the the emotional part is it's it's interesting because sometimes you can be like I've had dreams that have been just very intense and emotional. Yeah, and then there's other dreams where I am less, I am more like observing situations, and I'm not like I can see seeing what's going on, but I'm not really like feeling the emotions as much. So it's it's an interesting. Um, you know, uh, difference there. I, I think, I think one way that you, we might connect intuitive work to dream analysis, um, would be just kind of allowing for the first thing that occurs to us when we feel or, or, or evaluate some scene in the dream or some concept or symbol, uh, to be able to take note of that and to trust our first impression as a first order source of information instead of what we're sort of normally used to doing, which is to dismiss the first thing that comes to mind and to look at it more closely, to not get carried away by the first impression, because of course, first impressions aren't always true. Um, but in dreams, first impressions are almost certainly true, right? Like the impression is all you have. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it depends on the person because a lot of times when you have significant distortions, it completely colors your f first impression of anything, right? Whether it's meeting a situation in real life. Because um, if you have a strong distortion or an imbalance, it's a lens that colors your first impression. So um, I think for us or people, I don't know, people who've been doing the daily work and maybe um, – it's easier to go with your first impression, but I also think you you have to be cautious about that. Um, I definitely know people in my life who who adhere to the philosophy of always go with your first impression, but they haven't really been doing personal daily work. And so usually their first impression is just them playing out their distortion, which isn't necessarily yep. a bad thing if they can, you know, do a after action report, so to speak, and, you know, uh, look into how what they've done in the past and how it played out, but they, there's, they don't do the daily works. So there's no reflection, right? Because I do think that, yes. And we talked about this in our uh, intuition episode that, uh, you know, we broadly define intuition. It's kind of like this draw to a particular, I forget exactly what the word we use, but it's kind of like a draw to a particular, um, view or interpretation that isn't necessarily logical. It's just like, you're, you're like, you're getting some sort of information, right? Um, and that sometimes that can come from a distorted lens and sometimes that can come from genuine, um, you know, information from the deep subconscious that is more accurate, but either, either way, the best way to figure out which one it is and to become better at, at, at getting real information through that, that muscle of intuition 
is by trying it out and then analyzing or contemplating afterwards, hey, what was I acting from in that scenario? Was it from a lens, a distorted lens that I brought that because of something I hadn't dealt with? Or was it actually clear communication from the unconscious, subconscious? Yeah, um, it's I, I totally buy into what you're saying about how people uh, sort of use the intuition as a kind of superficial like guide rather than a data source, right? Like, yes, I think your first impression is important, but it's not the only thing that's important. And what it is that makes it important could be something very different than simply ascribing it and projecting it onto the person that you encounter, right? Like it, the first impression could be telling you something. In fact, it almost certainly is in a creation of unity telling you something about yourself. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So like, it, it's just, uh, it's just, I think you really had it from the beginning, Nathan. It's doing the daily work, making a uh, honest and earnest effort to have a relationship with your total self, including those deeper parts that are harder to access. And then uh, you start to find that the symbols and signals that you receive are uh, are starting to fit together more and can uh, maybe they don't dictate the path forward, but they give you, but maybe like you see a little bit, one side of the road is a little bit lighter than the other. You know, you get these little hints and like, you know, there's something about us making these free will decisions uh, in the dark with a tiny candle, as Ross says, that, that, that teaches the soul and the creator something that our full engagement through thick and thin suffering and uh, joy uh, doesn't. One of the, the other great value of, um, of uh, dream, the dream state is the suspension of disbelief. Like my husband and I have this, um, you know, debate sometimes because he just is not interested in <laughs> suspending his disbelief and watching certain movies and blah, blah, blah. And we joke about it or whatever, but in the dream state and, you know, especially the non-lucid dream state, like your suspension, you're, you know, you're in there, you believe it, it's all happening. And um, it's an interesting exercise into uh, how you are reacting to the situation. Um, it, it's just a, another like exercise of um, how you, when you're dealing with these confrontations or weird scenarios, just like, what are you, how, how you reacted to it, what you did, did, were, you know, were you, I've had dreams where I have fought violently against people and things. And it was very like, you know, aggressive. And then other things, other where I'm just kind of more passive and, and letting the, the situation play out. And it, it's just, so interesting to um reflect on um things that you're doing in the dream state that you would probably you know not do or like you have like some kind of experience in a way with um dealing with some of these capitalists so yeah um that's a really good point because in the dream state like uh what kuo not in this session but another one i was reading was talking about um you, the way you behave, 
the way you feel, the way that you think in the dream seems very, very connected to the contrived situation and the contrived environment in which you find yourself. Looking back on it, a lot of those scenarios make zero sense. Like uh, they're bad scripts, right? Like they're not, they don't, they, they require you to suspend your disbelief looking back at them to consider them at all. However, no problem at all suspending your disbelief when you're in the dream. It, 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 it brings to mind uh, the mysterious way that like the self and its environment kind of mutually reinforce each other. It, it, what it brings to mind is what aspects of our waking life are things where we have suspended our disbelief that if we disbelieved it and believed something else, maybe we could change our reality, not in the sense that we can like, I can manifest a million dollars poof, right now, but that I can see my outer conditions and the way that I relate to them in terms of how they reflect back to me, my premises, the things that I have fully accepted as the rule set of my reality. And therefore I never question them. They're always the basis upon which I go and question other things, but I don't question those, those underlying rules. And I think it's you, what you brought to mind, Jamie, is like the way in which a dream kind of doubles down on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be your subconscious showing you its perception of what you're doing when you're awake. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's wow. like, a, you know, like, like, cause it's probably the things that are happening in our third density waking life are pretty absurd in a way to the time space portion of ourselves. So maybe, um, maybe it's, uh, feedback. Yeah. There's probably all sorts of like consciousness runoff in a way from like all the stuff we do in our waking life is creating all of these more subtle conditions that then we have to reckon with at some point be better not to wait, wait, wait till the time. Sorry, blah. it would be better not to wait until the life review, I suppose for all of those to be balanced. Yeah. There's a quote about Oh yeah. It's the, um, the activity of dreaming is an activity in which there is made a finely wrought and excellently fashioned bridge from conscious to unconscious in this state, the various distortions which have occurred in the energy web of the body complex due to the misprecision with which energy influxes have been received are healed with the proper amount of dreaming comes the healing of these distortions. Continued lack of this possibility can cause seriously distorted mind, body, spirit complexes, basically. Yeah. But I love that. Um, I love that line, the misprecision with which energy influxes have been received. Like, mm, yes, I'm misprecising all kinds of energy influxes on a daily basis. So, yeah. Um, and also that think... language, too, the finely wrought and excellently fashioned bridge. Oh. Yeah. So, it's a way it's it's like this really really uh uh intentional way that our total selves recover all of this all these signals all this information that we're getting all the time whether it's in interactions with the you know different people or interactions with institutions or feelings or all this and we shuttle so much of it away down to the 
to, to be discarded because it's not immediately useful. Yeah, nothing is lost. You know, nothing your subconscious is, lost. is like everything. Honestly, the conscious mind, we can only deal with so much. And there's a lot that it's happening underneath. Like if you've like through the I worked in retail during the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was very intense for me dealing with that and dealing with the public and the masking and all the weird conditions and everything. And I had so many dreams that were about invasion. Like it was basically the sum of all the fears that I was pushing down just to get through the day were coming up at night in these dreams of like people invading, like people are coming in the doors. Oh, sh shoo them out, lock the door. Oh, they're coming in another door and people like it was like this theme that I had for a while. It was obvious that it was, yes, these were fears that I were, I was dealing with in my waking life a lot and things I was trying to manage. And, and, uh, my subconscious was also, you know, dealing with that or, you know, perceiving these energies and fuss and feeding them back to me and in interesting and distorted ways <laughs> or yeah. maybe undistorted, but well, just a different perspective, right? Yeah. Like, different perspective, you know, that's always when we see the insight, when we get the insight into things is when we just kind of turn it, <laughs> look at another side of it. I've also dabbled with setting up crystal configurations or programming crystals with the intent to help your dreams. And it seems to have an effect um, because I've done it with like crystals is let me actually correct myself. There was not a crystal configuration. It was like um, just a bunch of um, quartz that was, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it was basically a bunch of crystals like in the stone, half the stone, like a quarter of the stone. So it was, a, it was like a bunch of quartz and then like programming that uh, just with the intent of um, connecting to the higher self while uh, dreaming. It seemed to have an effect on me. What was funny is like I was out of town or something and I had some friends who crashed in my bed because I was like, hey, it's totally fine. And they're like, they're like, dude, I had crazy dreams in your room and they weren't spiritual people. They're like, I don't know what's going on, but you're like, your room is crazy. And then what's interesting is I then experimented with that same crystal and put it like in other people's headboards without telling them. And then like my I did it with my dad because my dad didn't believe that. <laughs> Yeah, this is, you should not do this. But uh, <laughs> my dad's like, oh, yeah, I don't believe in all that stuff, crystal stuff. And I was like, all right. And so I just put it at his headboard. And like for like two weeks, he's like, man, I'm getting terrible sleep. I keep on dream dreaming. I never dream. He's like, I can't stand this. And I was like, well, you know, I did put the crystal thing at your, at like, like six inches from your forehead. <laughs> and he's like, really? He's like, he's like, I gotta, I gotta remove that because if that's the cause, I, I, like, I just, I need to get good sleep. And then he moved it. He's like, oh, I'm sleeping like a baby. He's like, never put that again. There again. This has been, this has been another episode of Metaphysical Jackass where we <laughs> metaphysically prank people. Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole separate thing. But <laughs> Nathan is the Johnny Knoxville of time space. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I mean, if I was one of your friends, I'd just been like, why is all this gravel from the driveway around the room? You know, like <laughs> just bringing in more gravel. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So we have these three faculties. 
Uh, and then this closed session continues. We would recommend as a general rule that you allow whatever faculty first makes its opinion known to be the first to speak to you. For this is the faculty which is most likely to have a significant contribution to make in the evaluation of the waking dream which you call the life experience. Some people are more oriented towards mentally evaluating or analyzing a situation. Others feel first with their emotions what the situation has to offer. Others have an intuitive response, which is oftentimes difficult to discern in contrast to the feelings or emotions. Okay, so in that sense, it sounds like intuition being specifically like some sort of concept that sort of like bubbles in that you don't know the provenance of it, but it nevertheless sort of has some like arresting nature to it. And in that, we, we could definitely connect that to dreams, right? If that's what they mean by intuition. Okay, continuing. We can give you a general rule in this regard, and that is that the intuition will usually await politely the mental evaluation, the emotional response, and any type of guidance from elsewhere that the seeker may receive before making its opinion, shall we say, known. That's very interesting. So let us assume that you are an entity that begins with the intellectual analysis of what has occurred to you. You look at the beginning of the interaction of your being with any other entity or other self involved in the situation or in any other quality or factor that may be significant in the experience that you feel offers you a direction in your seeking. Look at each portion of the experience from the intellectual point of view, evaluating what occurred, just the facts, shall we say, of the interaction. The mechanical description of who did what to whom, if we may put it in these terms. Then, it is very likely that you will have a feeling as a response, an emotion of some kind that will follow the intellectual analysis. This feeling will give you a response from that deep portion of yourself, which, as we mentioned previously, was first developed as you were a young child, perhaps even a babe in arms, so that it becomes a primary part of your decision-making process, for it is that which is most basic in your own personality structure. This feeling response, however, being that which is oldest among those tools of your evaluation, sometimes is, shall we say, biased in a certain mode of response, so that even the feelings may be evaluated by the mental analysis to be sure that they are of significance and relevance to the current situation, and are not throwbacks, as we might call them, to an earlier time, when a difficult situation may have caused them to be formed in a manner which carries a bias with you throughout the life experience. Now, that's a very interesting point. And it's something that I've thought about with dreams, too. And it, same thing with waking life. Um, sometimes what we encounter, I believe, it, what, what, what we encounter is not new, fresh information. It's old loops. And I've definitely run into this in, in dreams where, like, I don't feel like I, I feel like I'm just being exposed to another theme that I, that I've, that I've heard a million times. I'm not, I'm not in some weird situation. It's a very, it's a very understood situation. And I get the same feeling in waking life too, where you run into your patterns. Oh, now I find myself yet again in this situation in my life. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to, uh, regard the intuition and the way that these kind of things are bubbling up to kind of understand yourself well enough to know, yes, that's something that I've dealt with before. That's new. Or that's something I've dealt with before, but in a different quality. Now I see a different side of it versus I'm just, I'm just looking for the thing that I've been experiencing my whole life. 
You know what I mean? I think that's a large part of what is meant by this biasing because you expect it, you see it. And so I think that's one thing that dreams have over waking life is that they really have a knack a lot of the time of taking all of the things about yourself and putting them in a radically different light so that they get looked at from like somebody else's point of view or from a point of view where like you kind of have to actually see how it manifests. Yeah. I, that brings to mind a recent dream where I had like, I can't, I was just reviewing it the other day, but I was both like a victim and a perpetrator. Yeah. Of this situation. Like, and it was me and one other person and we were both involved in it and we were experiencing both things or both sides of it, both as perpetrators and the receiving end of the situation. And that's a, a good example Absolutely. I think of, of what you're saying, but yeah, I think dreams are an excellent way to get out of your old biases and lenses and, and things and, and change your perception. Yeah. But specifically the idea of like taking the kind of twist that a dream normally uh, represents in how we normally understand ourselves. And seeing if you can like, maybe, I don't know if this is possible, but twist the way that you experience things in your waking life. Learning uh, that, for example, in your, what you were saying, your example of being perpetrator and victim at the same time, if I feel victimized, maybe I could look at it in the way that a dream would show me both perspectives and see the perpetrator's point of view or vice versa, that kind of thing. I'm just looking for like little hints of how we can take dream analysis and bring it into waking life. Um, and maybe this, maybe I'm parking down the wrong, wrong road. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, uh, let me try and finish this up. Um, when you have both intellectually and emotionally attempted to grasp the nature of, a, of your interaction with another self or other selves or portions of the scenery, shall we say of the picture on the stage, then it is very possible that you will have a hunch, a flash, an intuitional inspiration that will reveal to you a kind of understanding, if we may misuse the term, which is most likely to be most more accurate in its overall assessment of the value of a certain interpretation of the events you have just experienced. For the intuition is that which moves down the trunk of the tree of mind, going from conscious to subconscious, and even further to the cosmic energies to which you are connected in the universe as a totality. For each entity, as you well know, is a portion of the one creator, which has connections to all of the creation. Thus, those who have relied upon this inner knowing or intuition for a large portion of their life experience have developed a tool which is quite accurate in its ability to apprehend the significance of your interactions with all other entities and portions of your environment. <coughs> Excuse me. For those who are still gathering more information about the interpretation of the situation, we would recommend meditation so that the potential jumble of information from all of the sources may settle out, may arrange themselves in a more understandable or representative, represented or representative quality. The meditative state is one which enhances this connection that you have through your intuition with higher forces or sources of inspiration and information.
to which you may call upon for assistance. Thus, the meditative state is that which provides the peaceful environment in which you may carefully assess the situation as it has occurred for you. And just one quick note, I think that is the one thing that meditation has over both waking life and dreams is that in meditation, it's safe, it's calm, it's relaxed. And anything that has come up in our consciousness of any kind can kind of be looked at uh, and, 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 and focused on and given space to sort of take root and grow and, and, and it reveal itself to us a little bit at a time. It's not going to all happen at once, but uh, that, that is precisely why I asked about meditative analysis of dreams, because it just seems like when you're writing down the dream, even right, you're, you're just trying to capture it. You, you can't really just linger on it. And I think that's important. Yeah, it is to contemplation and is a super important part of understanding the, the symbols and kind of learning the language of your specific uh, dream symbolism. Cause it's going to be, I mean, yes, there are some, there's dream dictionaries and all these things and they, you know, there's some pretty common dream themes and what they mean, but most of the time it is very individual to you and yeah. one of the most important things to kind of reflect on i think absolutely all right let me see if i can uh, bring this to a close now my friends this is the most detailed and intricate description of how such interpretation of your waking dream may be achieved we would suggest that each seeker of truth after utilizing these resources on a daily basis for a long period of your time may be able to move through this process more quickly than it would at first glance seem probable, given each step that we have enumerated. Some seekers of truth have developed what we may, what we may call shortcuts in this process, relying upon such qualities as the intuition, perhaps using the pendulum, perhaps feeling a certain feeling or recognizing a certain feeling in response to the situation, or may see within the situation recognizable symbols that have appeared before whether in sleeping dreams or waking dreams, or within the studies with teachers, with books, with musical programming, or whatever the instrument of learning might have been. There is a kind of repeating theme for many seekers. Indeed, for each seeker, that proceeds very far down this path of utilizing the daily round of experiences in the fashion of the waking dream. There is, as in the dream state, a kind of vocabulary that is ultimately developed by the conscious seeker. Good one, Jamie. So that if a certain color is seen, a certain shape, a person with a certain kind of interest or name, there are an infinite number of portions of a picture of a waking dream that may provide a vocabulary or symbolic representation for each seeker. This is, of course, of necessity determined by each individual seeker. So that it may be well that no two seekers share the same vocabulary, but speak a different language in interpreting the nature and portions of each waking dream picture. These are means by which the seeking process is enhanced and means by which the conscious seeker of truth may be able to move more swiftly through the decision-making process as to the meaning of the dream and the spe blah, specific wording, as it were, that speaks to the heart, to the mind, and to the soul. And that's it. I think there's a bunch of stuff in there that uh, is worth going over, and we always have all the quotes and links to their sources in the show notes. Um, 
But there, there, one thing that I wanted to call out in there, a certain feeling or recognizing a certain feeling in response to the situation. If there is one thing that strikes me as dreamlike about waking reality, it is those poignant moments when another way of looking at it is maybe like, you know how those of Ra talk about the, you become the archetype when, once you learn how to work with the archetypal mind and the archetype system and you become the archetype in that situation. And it's kind of like a, like clear resonance of that pure tone in an otherwise cacophony of muddy tones going on, right? All sorts of stuff going off. And like, you feel like you just had this moment where like, something true and real occurred in spite of all of the nonsense, you know? And that's the thing that between dreams and waking reality, like that unifying thread of the poignancy of the way that a feeling can just feel an emotion, a state of awareness can just have a signature to it. That's so unmistakable. I would really like if nothing else for dreams to help me, work with that more because those are the times in my life when it feels like everything is aligned and all that has to happen is like a little bit of impulse and it just ripples through the whole system and comes out roaring. You know what I mean? And like, that's how you feel alive. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're shouting at the universe and the universe is shouting back at you, you know? Those are some pretty potent experiences. Yeah, I'd like to have them more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm glad that we were finally able to talk about the waking dream. And I I really uh, I really think that uh, it's learning how to use consciousness in both of these examples. This It doesn't come with the instruction manual. You have to figure it out the hard way. Everybody does. And wherever you are on that path, listener, uh, it, it it all ends up at one place. It's the, the destination is pretty, pretty certain. So, uh, you know, just work little by little on a daily basis. That's what all of us do. We all have different outcomes. We all have different experiences. Um, but we're united by this interest in having this relationship with all of these other selves that obtain outside the self and all of these other selves that obtain within the self. You know, with respect to the waking dream, uh, I've definitely had good success um, kind of approaching my catalyst in that way. I would say that um, I haven't always had success, but the success started to come when it felt natural to start to do this. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I want to just, like, you know, because... Reacting to catalysts in, in waking life as if it's a dream is very, very difficult. It's very scary. And so yeah, maybe you can just jump into it. But when I, when I maybe experimented, because I like to experiment, maybe before I'm fully ready, but maybe that's part of the process. I have no idea. But all I know is when I experimented, but still, still had that nod of fear of like, what the hell am I doing? It didn't really result in great outcomes necessarily. Obviously, you learn even from the poor outcomes, so to speak. But it was only when I was like, to a certain stage where it, the idea of reality being, you know, somewhat of illusion, somewhat uh, more fluid 
wasn't just a concept, but it was something I would occasionally experience on a weekly basis, then the idea of treating Catalyst like a waking dream felt much more natural. And so when I'd have like work-related Catalyst, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to respond to this in all the usual ways of, of processing Catalyst, but I'm also going to respond to it symbolically, you know? So maybe it, and when I say responding to it symbolically, it's doing things that don't have a direct impact. But if, if your life is a story and someone's reading the book of your story, uh, you know, reading the book or reading your story, your actions would clearly be symbolic and be related to that catalyst, even though there's no logical connection. And I've had fairly good results in doing that, but it had to come about more naturally for me when I was just like, Oh, it's just a waking dream. Let me just do it. No, that doesn't work out at all. Yeah. Yeah, when there's, I get, um, if you've ever had like deja vu, for example, is something that I've, I'll get deja vu is like, oh, wait, that, that was from a dream, you know, talking about like, um, you know, the, the crossover sometimes between like, um, the perception of the dream and then the waking world and, I, um, is that deja vu a, a form of intuition possibly, but I, I just think it's, um, it, it, it's always cool to, and valuable to pull yourself back and try and, and, and reframe it from, and see it from a different perspective. And I haven't really thought about, um, perceiving catalyst as though it's a waking dream, but I'm going to give it a shot. That seems like, um, a, a good way to apply some of the, um, experiences I've had in my dream state to, uh, my make my waking world. It's pretty it, cool. It takes an incredible amount of mindfulness yeah. because you're asked, it's like, it's like, I want you to completely, uh, change how you think about yourself and others at the very <laughs> moment you're being triggered. At the very moment you're being triggered, right? So it's something you got to practice. And I think what's great about this kuo I read was that it, it it helps us understand that it's not one thing that we use or work with to 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 do this better. There are lots of different tools that we have, and we we can use we can use them as they become, you know, reasonable to work with. I mean, it's not it's not always good. Like, like Nathan was saying to use your intuition of her first impressions to govern every single interaction. But every once in a while, if you learn to listen to it, uh, it might give you a clue. And that's pretty much all we can count on, uh, from our subconscious is clues. Um, yeah, maybe that's a good place to leave it. Anybody got anything they want to wrap up with? Well, my final thought would just be, encouraging people and listeners to every night there is exciting new episode of you and you should tune into it. And if it's not exciting, like a lot of my dreams, uh, then maybe you're just at that point in season two of twin peaks where Lynch and frost had left <laughs> and it just got really stupid. And mm -hmm. like I've been telling my friend, Eric, who's been watching it, just hang in there. It's going to get better on, on that final episode. Just hang in there, <laughs> man. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. 
Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Nathan. Thanks for uh, joining me as well. Um, listeners, uh, we're going to continue to keep these episodes coming out. If at all possible, uh, we'll definitely have in the not too distant future, the second installment of the deep dive into the archetypes uh, with Steve Tyman and Nathan, maybe you can join us for that uh, next time. I don't Sounds know. Like uh, Steve, keep, Steve keeps a different uh, 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 schedule than you. So <laughs> I might have to drag you out of a court to do this, but you know, <laughs> whatever I have to do. And anyway, thanks so much for listening. And in the meantime, dear listeners, Stay in the love and light.